You're listening to the Crackpot Crones podcast with Terry Baum and Carolyn Myers. Hello, I am Carolyn Myers, retired warrior princess of comedy. And I am Terry Baum, slightly world-renowned lesbian playwright. And together we are... The The Crackpot Crones. We do have a title for today's show. And the title is... Applause. Oh, I think that's a great title. Thank you, thank you. But, you know, Terry, usually something happens before there is applause. That's true. So let's do the show. The Crackpot Crones Crack Open Applause. So, Carol and I are both Buddhist practitioners, and I am now studying the Tibetan slogans. There are 59 of these slogans, don't do this, do do that. And the 59th one, the very last one is, don't expect applause. But my whole life is built around expecting applause. And that's because Terry and I have spent our lives in the theater and a lot of that time performing. So we have grown up trying to make people applaud, luxuriating in it when they do, and let's say hoping for it, if not expecting it. Now, Terry studies Zen and I study Tibetan Buddhism. What do your people say about applause, Terry? Well, Carolyn, Norman Fisher is a very well-known Zenny, and he wrote about the slogans. The slogans are ancient, but he's coming from a Western point of view where we all expect so much attention, right? So about the 59th slogan, he said, quote, Of course, we have all grown up with our parents applauding us. From the very beginning, we have looked for applause and did everything for our parents' applause, end quote. But I don't think my parents were actually into applause. They never applauded me. Oh, well, about that, let me share one of my favorite quotes, Uh, not from Buddhism, but from another source of ancient wisdom, the musical Chicago. In it, Roxy Hart says, Ooh, I'm a star, and the audience loves me, and I love them, and they love me for loving them, and I love them for loving me, and we love each other. And that's because none of us got enough love in our childhood, and that's showbiz, kid. Carolyn, I wouldn't say I didn't get enough love in my childhood, but I got no applause from my parents, that's for sure, or from anyone else. No teacher, no mentor, no grandparent. Somehow it just never happened that anybody thought I was special. Oh, wait a minute. That's not true. I had a primal experience with applause when I was in the first grade. For the PTA extravaganza, our first grade class was going to present Patty Page's hit song, How much is that doggy in the window? The one with the waggly tail. 
How much is that doggy in the window? I do hope that doggy's for sale. Now, one kid was going to sing the song and everyone else would have small parts. Now, I knew I should be the one to sing it because I wanted a dog so much, but I was not allowed to have one because I was allergic. I had asthma. So we had tryouts and the class voted on who would sing the song. Oh, the class voted. Yes, isn't that disgusting? And of course, I was not the cutest and most popular girl. Mary Jane Perkins was. So of course, the class all voted for Mary Jane. She was going to sing my song and the rest of us were just backup. I was assigned to drag a very large paper mache goldfish across the stage while Mary Jane got to sing, you can't take a goldfish for a walk. And then on opening night, it was just like a Busby Berkeley movie. It was time for the first grade to go out and do their thing and Mary Jane got stage fright and threw up all over her pink organdy party dress. And the teacher asked in desperation, does anyone know the words to how much is that doggy? And would you believe that no one but me knew the words? Believe! So, while Mary Jane dragged that damn goldfish across the stage, I got to sing my heart out and express all my passionate longing for a puppy to that audience of parents. Just me all alone. Everyone clapped and clapped. And that was kind of the end of it for me figuring out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I have a very similar story. I represented the third grade as Frosty the Snowman in the holiday show at my elementary school. My mother came to school and she made me a big butcher paper costume and I had a scarf and gloves and a hat. I stood downstage center while the choir sang Frosty the Snowman from the risers right behind me. We didn't have much rehearsal so it really was an improvisation. I am sure I chewed the scenery, if there even was any scenery. Oh, man, did I love it. I acted out and illustrated every single lyric. I even went down into the audience, and Mrs. Burnett, our teacher, had to send another kid down to tell me to get back on stage. <laughs> At the end, I took a separate bow, and there was this huge applause. And I am sure, looking back on it, it was like taking a drug all the anxiety and tension and depression that a 10-year-old nerd carries just fell away. And there I was, glorious for that moment. But this story continues. In my senior year of high school, I ran into Mrs. Burnett, and I told her how I had gone on, lived an actor's life in San Diego Junior Theater and at my high school, and that I was going to major in dramatic arts at college. I said, and you are the one who discovered me? Mrs. Burnett looked confused. Because you cast me as Frosty the Snowman. She just started laughing and said, oh, that is so funny. Because I was struggling what to do with you. You had the loudest voice in the whole choir and you could not carry a tune. 
I asked my husband for advice, and he said, well, why don't you just make her Frosty the Snowman? And then she can dance and caper around while everyone else sings. And so that's what I did. Mrs. Burnett's revelation was a big shock to me. But because I had gone on to have these fantastic acting experiences. So it didn't bother you at all that you got the starring role because of your inability to carry a tune? No, it didn't bother me. But wait, the story goes on. In my junior year in college, I wanted to transfer to another school, and I wrote about this whole frosty experience as my application essay, including running into Mrs. Burnett years later. And then I met someone from the admissions committee who told me, we loved your essay so much. It was the only funny one we got. So, yes, applause. Carolyn and I have been focused on applause since at least grammar school. That's right. Applause meant I was special. And getting attention can be very comforting. And when it's not happening... People have to reassure and elevate themselves in other ways. I remember one time I was at some conference talking to this man. He was very well-dressed, a very stylish guy. And he said, I want to tell you something. I hope it won't offend you. I just went out and bought Calvin Klein underwear. And I said, oh. <laughs> he said, yes. I was feeling sort of lost and unnoticed and something new to wear. It makes the blob he gestured to show he was referring to his body. Feel better for a little while. I know that's stupid. And I thought, oh yeah, that's like applause. It has that same feeling for a few minutes. You're okay because you're special. I haven't tried Calvin Klein underwear, but maybe that's because I'm in theater and I receive actual applause. People who are not in theater need Calvin Klein underwear. Yes, you already have the real thing. But that's so sweet that he told you about his underwear. He was embarrassed later on that he had told me, but it was very fun. Yeah, sweet. You know, when I was living in Berkeley and looking for a collective living situation, I met all these different people, and some, some of them because I had a hard time finding a place, uh, I ended up going out for coffee with them. One of them was a bricklayer. And when I told him I was in theater, he said that he felt he deserved applause too. He wanted people to applaud the walls he put up. And I thought, yeah, you're right. Everybody deserves applause. I wonder if Calvin Klein underwear would have worked for him. A bricklayer? Maybe. Of course, in Buddhism, you're supposed to be good just for the hell of it. Everything you're doing is just a gift, freely given. Yes, no applause, no appreciation expected. In fact, the receiver is giving you a gift just by receiving it. That's for sure. Oh, I can't go there. I need the actual clapping. Now I remember a time I expected applause and didn't get it. This is when I was doing Immediate Family. I was in Holland, in Utrecht. Immediate Family is Terry's solo play about a woman, Virginia, at the hospital bedside of her wife, who is in a coma. 
this is in 1985, before gay marriage. So Virginia has no legally recognized relationship with Rose. No say in Rose's medical treatment. Nothing. So the play's over. The lights go down. It was black. And the audience didn't applaud. They didn't applaud. And it stayed black. Now, afterwards, I realized that the audience didn't applaud because they were savoring the moment when Virginia turns off the respirator. They just wanted the experience to last a little longer. But in my head, they were supposed to applaud when the lights go down. That's what the audience does. But I am standing there in the black and I am completely frantic just praying the audience can't see me while I'm waving my arms wildly in the blackout, trying to somehow signal the lighting person to bring the lights up so the audience will do what it's supposed to do. But it just stayed black, silent. It was like the audience and the lighting person were conspiring against me. Finally, the lights came up and then there was a lot of applause, a lot, because it was an especially good performance. When I thought about it later, I realized that I had missed that moment of people being so into the play that they didn't want it to end. So the fact that I expected applause kept me from experiencing what was really going on a precious moment of silence between me and the audience that was deeper than applause. Have you ever had that silence happen again, Terry? Never, Carolyn. But then there were times when I did get applause and I couldn't take it in. I remember when I had a big hit with One Fool, this very wild farce based on my adventures in Amsterdam, that would be 1988 in San Francisco. Rave reviews, every performance sold out, the run extended. And one of my friends asked me, what is it like to have your play be a hit? And I said, it's like it's happening to someone else who is standing next to me. <laughs> I mean, truly, I could not take it in. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't savor it. It was like it all bounced off me. So being able to take applause in when it happens is also part of not expecting it, you know? I mean, ideally, you could be doing it not expecting appreciation, but be able to enjoy the appreciation when it comes your way. Well, Carolyn, what's your experience with applause after Frosty? <laughs> oh... I think learning to accept applause is still a learning process for me. I mean, I can remember an example from just last fall where I still had to learn to like applause. I, I was in this improv group for 10 years called the Hamazons, and we were a phenomenon in Ashland, Oregon. We were very beloved. We were part of the town scene. Then last fall, we reunited for a reunion show. We had started in 1999, and now it was 2019, so we had a 20th anniversary show. We were in a very large theater, a 350-seat theater, and it was sold out ahead of time. 
I was amazed by that. I hadn't been living in Ashland for quite a while. And before the show even started, there was a montage of slides of Amazon posters and shows throughout the years projected on a huge screen. I was appalled that we were doing that. And I tried to get the others to get rid of the whole preview. Oh, I totally understand. I would think of it as complete pandering. Right. But everyone else said, no, no, the audience is going to love this. At the opening of the show, we were sitting on stage hidden behind the screen while the slideshow played out accompanied by music. Then the screen is raised and we are revealed, seated in a line of fabulous self-decorated chairs, one of our trademarks. So, of course, the audience is applauding and applauding. Maybe it was a standing ovation. Yes, it was a standing ovation. And I hated it. I thought, mm, either the audience has been coerced into this by the montage, or they are applauding because we are icons and they're going to love whatever we do. So what's the point, right? Or, more sadly, since one of the original crew had died, they're applauding the rest of us because we're still alive. You're survivors. But someone else in the company said, listen to that. The audience is applauding for themselves of 20 years ago. Whatever my feelings of creepiness were, they were not founded. That's the moment when I realized that applause is not opinion. Applause is love. It's the audience expressing emotion, and it's part of the live experience. That's also why you need to hold for applause at the end of the show, to let the performance finish. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That reminds me of another quote from Norman Fisher about applause. Quote, when people applaud us for our wonderful achievements, really what they are applauding is not us and not those achievements. They are applauding life. They are applauding goodness. They are applauding their own lives. They are applauding the human capacity to appreciate something wonderful. I remember, I just remembered a story you tell about a time you held for applause because your mother was there. Oh, well, my mother and I, I could say we were a trial to each other. I was performing at UC Irvine and it was a sold out performance in a pretty big theater and I was doing Immediate Family, the play I did in Utrecht. And my parents came. They almost never came to see my shows. They were just completely embarrassed that I was doing plays about being a lesbian. That was really the problem. And at the end of the performance, I got a standing ovation from every single person in the audience, except my mother. I'm sure she was thinking, God damn it. I didn't applaud you for your whole childhood because you just weren't good enough. And I don't feel like starting applauding you now. Well, my mother happened to be sitting in the precise middle of the audience, so it was very natural for me to stand, staring her in the face, and I thought, I am not leaving this stage until you stand up for me, women. So I stood there, and, and she knew exactly what was going on, and finally she stood up in this sort of stooped-over way and with her head turned to the side, vaguely patting her hands together. And I decided, okay, you stood, that's enough. And I left the stage. Huh. 
bringing it around full circle from her not applauding you as a child. Yeah, you better believe it. So, not expecting applause means that when it does happen, you embrace it, let it in. When it doesn't happen, you embrace that too. But then sometimes it's your goddamn mother who's not applauding and you have to demand it. Carolyn, have you had a very positive experience with applause? I can recall one really positive applause experience from an audience standpoint. So for about 20 years, I directed a teen theater in Southern Oregon. Sometimes we were under the auspices of the county health department, sometimes under the auspices of Planned Parenthood. We traveled all around the state, and they put on plays about teen health issues. So this particular time, we were in this small town in eastern Oregon, not one of your uh, hot theatrical spots. And we got invited that night to see a show at the local community college. I was very excited because I was always trying to find entertaining and safe things for the teens to do when we stayed overnight. And we went to the show. It was very sparsely attended. It was fantastic. It was really good. And there was this one actor who was so wonderful. And I, I just wanted him to know that. So at the end of the play, I was clapping. And then I stood up. And I was clapping. And then all my teens stood up. And then all the rest of the audience, such as they were, everyone stood up. And we were all clapping. So I had this experience of this, this small gesture of mine growing into this sort of surge of oceanic power because that's another thing that clapping does. It can start small, but when it grows, it can be huge. It has so much power. It lets the audience and the cast feel how we were all in this together. You know, I actually have a practice, which is if I am in the audience and I really enjoyed the performance, I keep clapping until everyone else has stopped. I want to be the last person applauding. Oh, that's very nice. I, I mean, nobody notices me doing it. I, but, you know, when you're a performer, you know how much incredible work goes into a good performance. So if it's a good performance, I say, I am just going to keep clapping until I'm the only one. Then I'll stop. So it turns out, Terry... We are pretty pro-applause, even though we can both see that as Buddhists, there can be a catch in it if you're expecting it. Yeah, that's right. Hey, listeners, wherever you are. Bravo, bravo, yay, woo, 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 woo. And especially all you crones who have never received enough applause, no doubt. Woo, woo, bravo. Very few of us have received enough applause or Calvin Klein underpants in our lives.